Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word teaches us of your love for us, of your grace towards us. It teaches us that we are fallen and sinful and that we need your salvation, but it teaches us the best news, which is that we have it in Jesus Christ. And as we come to your word, we pray that you will help, it, help us to receive its wisdom into every aspect of our lives. That we might do all that we do, all of the time, to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon this morning comes from an email I got a little while back uh, from somebody who had some questions about rest and about work and about Sundays and those times when sometimes work needs to be done on Sundays. And uh, we had a bit of back and forth on that email, which was good. But it sort of, it, it was something that was, came at the end of a whole lot of wrestling I'd been doing myself on questions about work and rest and how much work should we be doing and how much rest should we be having and how much is too much and how much is not enough. And as we begin this morning, I want to take a minute just to reflect. How rested do you feel today? Pretty good? Well, that's good. You might be, you know... You just back, I know we've got a couple just back from holidays. Now, I don't know if those are the sort of holidays that you come back from and you're just right and ready to go. Or, I don't know, sometimes I've been on holidays that I get back from the holiday and I'm more tired than when I left. How weary are we feeling? In our muscles, in our bones, in our hearts, in our minds. Rest is important to us. But we live in a culture that, in a way, has turned busyness into a virtue to the extent that even in the times that we have to rest, we fill it with things. And a day of rest isn't complete unless I've, I've indulged five different things that are going on. And sometimes we can feel guilty about rest when there is so much to do. And on top of that, as Christians, we know that time is short. We know that there is an urgency to the gospel message, that we have this life, this time that we are in, and that the people need to hear the good news of Jesus and believe it in this life, or else it will be too late. We know that there's eternity at stake, in some of the things that we do. And so this morning I want to dive into what does God tell us about rest? And what, what about the Sabbath? What about, you know, is there, is it, should, should I be boycotting shops that are open on Sundays? Should I be, uh, you know, staying away from doing any work on a Sunday? Is God angry if I do work on a Sunday? You might have heard me say before, and others have said it before, nine out of ten commandments, of, of the ten commandments, are endorsed in the New Testament. 
But the story of the Sabbath is a little bit more complicated. So this morning I want to look at what the New Testament tells us about the Sabbath and about rest. Now for those, uh, just a quick recap perhaps on what is the Sabbath? The basic background on the Sabbath is this. The Bible tells us God created all things uh, in the six days of creation. And on the seventh day, he rested. And the picture of that rest is not so much a, oh gosh, I'm so tired, I just need to put my feet up and watch my shows. But it's about a stepping back from the work that he'd done in creation and enjoying that it, what he had made and enjoying that it was good and taking some time back from his labour to appreciate the wonder, the good things that he had made as a good creator. So following that then, uh, when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, God gave them a series of, of laws, of ways to live, and among that was honour and keep the Sabbath day holy. And the Sabbath day was the, the Saturday, the last day of the week, you weren't to go and pick up, uh, you weren't to go and do any work. And in the time when manna was falling, God, God really drilled this into them by no manna fell on a Saturday. So you had to go out and pick twice as much on a Friday because uh, if you left it to Saturday, you'd go hungry. And it's worth, it's worth pointing out, this was a serious deal in the Old Testament. Like there, there was the death penalty for people that ignored the laws about the Sabbath that made their, their slaves or their workers work on the Sabbath uh, or even did work themselves. In the time since Moses, the scribes had added a great deal of, of um, well, they considered it clarification, but they added a lot of extra things to the Sabbath. So that by the time of the New Testament, there were 39 different categories of Sabbath work that you weren't allowed to do. Not 39 different types of Sabbath, 39 different categories of Sabbath work that you weren't allowed to do. Uh, we, we still see that mindset in... In the world today, we see in places like uh, in New York, on the Saturdays, there are places where all of the, um, the pedestrian crossing buttons, like you don't have to press the pedestrian crossing buttons, they, they come on automatically on Saturdays because the Orthodox Jews that live in that area consider the pressing of those buttons to be work, which they are forbidden to do on a Saturday. And this, this is the kind of environment that Jesus was in, uh, the kind of environment that the Pharisees had made the Sabbath to be. And so the first passage I want to look at this morning is from Mark chapter 2 and into a little bit of chapter 3. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So we see two stories there. One, Jesus' disciples picked grain and it leads to this confrontation uh, with the Pharisee. Remember, they weren't picking it to sell it for profit. They were just plucking a few little bits and pieces to eat it as they went along. And then on another time, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And this also led to a confrontation. And at one level, this is about the overly strict interpretations of the Pharisees that had turned the Sabbath into a chore for the people. But on the other hand, Jesus uses the opportunity given by these questions about the Sabbath to teach us about the Sabbath and about rest. The first thing he says, well, the first thing I'm going to, going to dwell on this morning is the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man because of God's recognising that we need rest. And not that this is the only reason to have rest, but that we work a lot better when we're properly rested as well. God didn't invent the Sabbath first as some abstract principle and then create a whole bunch of people so that they could serve the Sabbath, so that the Sabbath could be uh, glorified every Saturday by people not doing any work. But he made the Sabbath because people need a rest. And so we see in this that Jesus is giving us the picture that the Sabbath wasn't supposed to be a chore. And the Sabbath wasn't supposed to stop people from being able to help those in genuine need because of overly strict interpretations about what work should be. And so he decrees it is lawful to do good. He proclaims himself, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now that's that's an unusual claim to fame. But as the creator, as the one who was there when the world was made, and who rested with the Father on the seventh day. He does have a unique authority to teach us about the Sabbath and about rest. And we know that Jesus talks about the law, and he talks about that the law, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfil the law. The law is fulfilled in Jesus And he, as the one who fulfills the law, decrees that it is lawful to do good and to help those in need on the Sabbath. The question then is, what does it mean 
for the law to be not abolished, but fulfilled. What does it mean for the Sabbath to be not abolished, but fulfilled? Are we under the Sabbath? Do we need to keep the Sabbath day holy? Should we work our five days and then, and then the two days, you know, the, or maybe even work our six days and have a day just, that's, that's just full of worship and mission and reaching out to people? Well, we're going to dive into to some other things that the New Testament tells us about the Sabbath. Paul understood Jesus' lordship over the Sabbath as meaning that Christians aren't bound by the Sabbath. We read from Romans 14, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Now, he doesn't spell out that he's talking about the Sabbath, but it seems fairly clear that this is the point he's making. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So one person keeps the Sabbath day holy, the other person doesn't. And one person thinks the Sabbath day is special and needs to be set aside, the other one doesn't. And Paul says that, you know, as long as you're not saying this is the way it has to be, it's fine for people to go their own way on these things. The Jew can't tell the Gentile that they're not a Christian because they don't observe Shabbat, that they don't keep the Sabbath holy. The Gentile can't tell the Jew they're not a Christian because they continue to observe the Sabbath. But each should be convinced in their own mind. And likewise in Colossians... Oh, sorry, that was the one I just read about don't let anybody judge you about a Sabbath day. So these are the two things Paul has said about the Sabbath. If the, the, the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath is not necessary to salvation. So... When it comes down to it, we are not, strictly speaking, under the Sabbath law. Lots of people, lots of Christians throughout history have, have sort of treated Sunday like it's our Sabbath. Uh, you know, early on the church started meeting on the first day of the week and they called it the Lord's Day and it's not even clear if they had the day off work or if they met outside of work hours for those things. But over time it's become very common, um, you know, in, in some strict, some more strict Christian circles, that the Sabbath or the Sunday is, you shouldn't do any work on the Sunday. Uh, you shouldn't go, you know, have a meal at the pub on a Sunday. Now, again, that's not every church, but that some churches have had this sort of idea behind it. That be, this, with the Sabbath being fulfilled in Jesus, Peter says, you know, if somebody really thinks that they, should, they shouldn't work on the Sunday and that's a matter of conscience for them, then they shouldn't work on that Sunday. But there's nothing actually wrong with it. If your animals need moving from one paddock to another, if you're a doctor or a nurse and that's just how shift work goes sometimes, the Bible says that we have that freedom in Christ, that 
the Sabbath, the rest that God calls us to, is not supposed to be an obligation to make life difficult and unbearable. The way that that Jesus has filled the Sabbath also means that, you know, we're free to move the day uh, that we might have for our rest or or for our worship. You know, the church did that. They moved the day from the Saturday to the Sunday. And if we, for whatever reason, you know, it, it came out that the easiest day for all of our church to, to meet together to worship was on a Wednesday, we could do that. The Bible would have, you know, there would be nothing against that. We would have freedom to do that. So if we're not then, strictly speaking, under the Sabbath, where does this leave us in terms of rest? Is it a, you know, case of we'll rest when we're dead? And the devil never takes a day off and neither do I. Is that what Jesus is telling us to do? The final passage I want to look at is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Where Jesus says to his disciples, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus promises us that we can have rest. What what does it mean that he will give us rest? What sort of rest? There are some that take this as referring to the future. Jesus will give us rest when we die or when he comes, we will go to be with him and we will enjoy that perfect rest forever. And, you know, there are Bible passages that talk about rest in that sort of way. Uh, I forgot to put it in my slides, but in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 10, nearly there, He says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example, uh, the example of previous generations, their example of disobedience. He started that off by saying, If Joshua had given them rest by leading them into the land, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains a day of Sabbath rest for the people of God. So there is a sense in which the rest that Jesus promises to us is something that we look forward to in the new creation. But is that the only rest that Jesus calls us to come and to find in him? Now the truth is, on this point, There are some of us who are by nature inclined to be workaholics and there are some of us who by nature are more inclined towards being lazy. And if I'm going to be honest and put my hand up, my natural inclination is towards laziness, towards, you know, doing the least amount that needs to be done to get done what needs to be done. But then sometimes I I can kind of cover both sides of this debate because sometimes I have these seasons of anxiety 
where the anxiety tries to turn me into a workaholic because there's all of this work that needs to be done. And how can I possibly rest when there's so much to be done? Now, I think there are some Christian leaders who are naturally inclined to the more workaholic side of things that teach that the norm is that we, the, the burnout for Jesus type of view, that we've only got so much time. Go, work, 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 and we can rest when we're dead. And they kind of get that because that's the way they're naturally inclined. They want to just keep working and working and they think, well, that's just normal. That's the way that God calls us to be. The thing is, both work and rest can become idols. Even Christian work, even ministry can become an idol. When deep down we think, God needs me to do this work. God is depending on me and it won't happen unless I'm working every minute of every day. But Jesus tells us, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And there are two reasons why I think Jesus calls us to real physical rest. The first is Jesus' own example. Jesus knew his time was even shorter than ours was, that his work had even more urgency than ours does. He only had three years to come and to teach people about the kingdom of God before the time that he would die. And yet, I've got one example here, but there are many that we could choose from. We read this, So many people were coming and going that the disciples and Jesus did not even have a chance to eat. So because of this, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And, um, you know, I don't want to be open to the charge of taking this out of context, so I will tell you what happens next is that he went away to have that time of rest and all of the people followed him, so that kind of foiled his plan somewhat. But Jesus was still very intentional in recognising that his disciples needed rest and intentionally set out to give them the rest that they needed. And the other reason I think that Jesus calls us to rest is because of the Sabbath. Now, I've just spent half of the sermon this morning telling you that we're not, strictly speaking, under the Sabbath. But God didn't invent the law and teach the people of the Old Testament all of the law only for it to be discarded and have absolutely no relevance to us in this age. We are not under the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law remains. We don't have the food laws that say we can't eat pigs and insects and and whatever and uh, shellfish and all of those other things. But we do have the principle that whatever we do, even when we eat and drink, we are to do it to the glory of God. We don't have worship at the temple and we don't have worship that takes the form of animal sacrifices. But we do worship our God in spirit and in truth. We, in many ways, the the principles, the heart behind the laws continues on 
even though the practice, the specifics of the law, we're no longer under in the New Testament. And so we don't have the Sabbath. And it's not against our law to, to do things on a Sunday and to work if need be. But we do, we should learn from that to make time for rest. But he will give us rest. He could have said, I will give you strength, if that was what he meant to say. Strength to keep pushing on despite your weariness. And he could have quoted from Isaiah that those who re, you know, call on me will renew their strength. But he didn't. He said, I will give you rest. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is in control. That just as he saved us because we couldn't save ourselves, so in the things that he calls us to do, in sharing the gospel and all of those other things, he's not depending on our strength. Jesus' plans aren't dependent on us. Although in his goodness, he gives us a part to play. He gives us a a role in this great mission of his, this great commission to go and take the gospel to all nations. But his plans aren't dependent on us working 24-7. We can rest when we need to rest, trusting that Jesus has this under control. And not that I need to sort everything out, but that he has got it. Bible teaches us Jesus came to show us what the Father is like, to teach us about the kingdom of God. He came to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. There was no price that we could ever pay that would clear the debt of our sins before God. None of us could do enough to cover over all of the the damage we'd done to our relationship with God by rejecting him and choosing to be masters of our own lives. But Jesus did what we could never do for ourselves. He died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself. And just as our sins were counted to him, his righteousness was counted to us. Not because we worked really hard to get that righteousness, but because he has given it to us by his grace. And the good news is that the story doesn't end with Jesus on the cross or in the tomb. And it doesn't even end with him rising from the grave. It Well, not that the story has ended, but the point that we're at right now is that Jesus has returned to the right hand of the Father where he rules over this world. And yes, this, the, the rule of Jesus over this world is not the same as in the new creation where there will be no more sin and no more sickness and no more mourning. But he is in control of what is happening. And God has made us such that we get reminded every day that we depend on him and not the other way around. He's made us so that we need to be unconscious for one third of every day or else our bodies will literally begin to shut down. 
And that teaches us each and every day that we have to just let go as we put our head down on that pillow and let God be in control. He teaches us to let go and to trust in him. And so in finishing this morning, I want to just reflect quickly on how do we rest well? How do we come to Jesus so that he can give us rest? Well, that's the first part of it in itself, that we come to Jesus, that we rest in him. Now, that doesn't mean, I don't think, that every day that you have off, you need to spend the entire time reading the Bible, praying, singing hymns. Uh, You know, that's what it means to come to Jesus for rest. I'm certainly not knocking doing some of those things on our time off. That can be some of the best time to recharge ourselves. But, you know, there is a time and a place for hobbies. There is a time and a place for just rest, you know, that just putting your feet up and enjoying the day. I think the resting in him, for me, is is about that. Coming to Jesus gives us the freedom to say, I can rest today and not feel guilty about it because Jesus is in control. Because he is the one who has called me to have my part in his mission, but also calls me to come and come to him for rest. And in that attitude, all of our rest can be taken with thanksgiving and rather than, you know, guilt. Now, it's worth saying too, you know, I've particularly geared this sermon towards talking about how to rest well because I think in this world that idolises busyness, it's something that we don't do very well. Now, there may be some of us who aren't actually, you know, who are a little too much in love with rest and not doing the work that God has called us to do. There are places uh, in the Bible where, where God gives us a bit of a rocket up the backside to say, don't be lazy, don't just sit around waiting for Jesus to return. We do have our work. And when we work, we should work hard. Uh, I've recently keep on uh, thinking in this context of a phrase Frog always loves to use at football training. Work hard, get off. Uh, Whenever we're having a drill, go out there, work hard, then get off. And we can take a similar approach to our lives. When it's work, we work hard. And when it's rest, we rest hard. Uh, Work hard, get off. Resting well is about trusting and letting go and being thankful in those times where it's good to rest. I think it's very important to be intentional in rest, in setting time aside. Now, as I said, you might have a... uh, You might be a shift worker and you have to work on a Sunday. That's great, you know. You be intentional about scheduling in your rest on a Tuesday. You might have a week where there, there is genuinely just all these things need to happen. Uh, that's okay. We're not under the law. You can have a week like that. Make sure you're very intentional in giving yourself the right amount of rest to recover from a week like that when you get the chance. When we're having our rest, it's good to make sure you, you don't allow intrusions, work intrusions on your rest that can wait. I mean, I think that's one of, the, one of the reasons God set up the Sabbath the way that it was 
And again, not that we're strictly under that, but even these little, little tasks, collecting sticks, gathering manna, this is a day for, your time for resting is for resting. Let those other things wait. This is not so much a, um, a biblical application, but I think it's one that's worth saying. Understand the types of rest. Understand that not every hobby uh, is equal in terms of the rest that it gives. There's a time and a place for scrolling through social media, but that's a not, not actually a great rest. Um, there can be, you know, there's a time and a place for watching the news and, and all of these sort of things, but, you know, those, those things aren't always great rest. I, I'm, one of my favourite hobbies is video gaming. I know that some games are much better than others for rest and some games get you really heightened and on edge and the Frog's nodding at me like he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you, Frog. It's good to understand our rest and to be, you know, to think about doing things that actually give you a chance to recharge your batteries. But I want to close by just saying that when you re need a rest, don't feel guilty about needing a rest. If you're tired and weary, come to him. He gives you the freedom to rest. Let's pray. Lord, even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall. We know that you can renew our strength by your spirit. That you that we depend on your strength and not on our own in the work that you have called us to. But help us also to be wise in coming to you for rest. Lord, there are seasons where we do come to you tired and weary. Let us understand the freedom that you give us, that you are in control and that your mission you've graciously called us into, but it doesn't depend all on me doing everything in my own strength. Help us to be wise in taking that time to rest, that it sharpens us, that it strengthens us, that it allows us to actually work well when it is work time, to work hard, and then to rest well. Lord, some of us today... Sunday, it will be a day of rest this afternoon. Some of us have already got four different things in our diary after we leave this place. We thank you for the freedom that we have with regard to the Sabbath, that it's not a restraint and a restriction on us. But in recognising that, we just pray that you will help us to be wise in making sure that we come to you for rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.